Happy Tuesday, everybody. Happy to have you with us for College Football Live with Rod Gilmore and David Pollock. I'm Wendy Nix. The Pac-12 media days underway in Los Angeles. We'll certainly get to that. You'll hear from some of the brightest stars out west coming up. But we start with the news that continues to dominate the headlines with regards to college football, and that is the possibility of OU and Texas joining the SEC. Today, both schools released a joint statement formally notifying the conference that they're looking for an invite for membership beginning in 2025. SEC presidents and chancellors now scheduled to meet on Thursday for this proposal. Here's the commissioner's statement. While the SEC has not proactively sought new members, we will pursue significant change when there's a clear consensus among our members that some actions will further enrich the experiences of our student athletes and lead to greater academic and athletic achievement across our campuses. The presidents and chancellors of the SEC will consider these requests in the near future. Heather Dennett now on if Texas and OU could possibly join the SEC before 2025. Well, the first step is for 11 of the 14 SEC presidents and chancellors to vote and formally invite them into the SEC. A source with knowledge of the process cautioned me that just because the presidents and chancellors are meeting on Thursday does not guarantee that they will take a vote, though it's certainly possible. Now, there could also be legal maneuvering for Texas and Oklahoma to get out earlier than 2025. They could also simply pay the fine. We're talking about 75 to $80 million per school to leave before then. Um, there's also a sense that there's a hope that the, the Big 12 dissolves and that grant of rights agreement becomes a moot point. I can tell you my sources in the American Athletic Conference are telling me that they plan to be aggressive. They would like to have 14 to 16 schools in their league. This is a flip from the last time these conversations went around when the Big 12 was considering poaching American Athletic Conference schools. Now I get the sense in talking to people that the AAC is going to be aggressive and try to get the remaining Big 12 schools. Heather, thank you. Not surprising as this becomes more of a reality, schools are going to have to pivot and, and probably reverse course from their initial stance. Listen, David, everything usually, most everything has pros and cons. Let's start with the glass half full and the pros of the SEC in terms of Texas and Oklahoma joining. Well, if I'm the SEC, I, I expanded my market more, um, bringing in Oklahoma, the state of Oklahoma more. Um, obviously, I added a brand with Oklahoma and Texas. I added more good quality football. Um, you know, most of the time, a lot of times you expand for regions because you want to, you know, grow your region and grow your TV with your money. Not only did you get two name brands, you got one football team that's been great, one of the best football teams in the country the last you know, five or six years, and another team that's one of the biggest brands in college football. So the rich get richer. By the way, we get more games that are going to be really fun to watch. I mean, you, you, you bring in Texas and A&M, you get that rivalry back. You're going to see what? Texas versus Georgia more, Alabama versus Oklahoma more. Like, so as a fan, you're going to get more quality football, I think, that you're really, really going to love. So that's the pros. David, I, I think I heard you say money and power and money and power because I mean, that's really where it begins. <laughs> More <know>? money. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about, yeah, kind of world domination, no, sports world domination for, you know, the SEC. Now, now for the players, I mean, I think the benefit to them is that you will see, let's take the playoff, for example, the SEC is likely to get five or six spots once we expand to 12 playoffs. Now, and it's not just football. 
Think about the non-revenue sports. There's been a lot of discussion about how the non-revenue sports have been kind of shorted on scholarships for the longest, and that most commissioners would like to see more full scholarships in non-revenue sports. All this money and the power will allow the SEC to push for changes with non-revenue sports. And don't forget that Texas won the Director's Cup this past year as the best overall program, which includes all the non-revenue sports, by the way. It sounds good, doesn't it? Oh yeah, there we go. Let's let's give it let's give it to the have-nots. Now listen, uh, that remains to be seen. You certainly hope so. But the flip side of this, and you talked about the money, you talked about the power, having it consolidated, theoretically anyway, uh, almost all in one place, Rod, uh, brings some negative as well. Tell me about the cons. Oh wow, where where do I start with my list? Um, first and foremost, <laughs> you're wiping out the Big 12 Conference, you know, and you're hurting a bunch yep. of other programs in the Big 12 that are going to have a hard time recovering. And, you know, the collegiality there is, is missing because this is going to be devastating for a lot of programs. And, and then, you know, for me, I loved watching, you know, the battle for Texas, you know, Texas playing TCU and Texas Tech and Baylor. These regional rivalries have always been exciting and people grew up on them. They're going away. And that's a negative in my, in my view. We are losing some of the, the fabric, some of the nostalgia of college football when we wipe away those things. And then finally, David, I, I would say, let, let's not get too excited about the schedule and some of the things that you mentioned, because keep in mind, Texas A&M, they made this move in 2012. They played Georgia once in that 10-year period. It's hard to get the scheduling right when you have that many teams you know, trying to get everybody right. It's going to be tough for folks to get the games that they want. No, no doubt. And obviously A&M being in the West, Georgia in the East, the crossover is not going to, you know, be as frequent. But, you know, you will have other teams that will also match up in the West with them consistently, which will be a lot of fun. So the carnage is one, Rod, no doubt. All the teams left over from the, from the Big 12 that are kind of stuck there. The power that the SEC will have, I mean – you know, the NCAA is not going to be around for too much longer, I don't think. You know, they're continuing to lose their foothold now. You look at the SEC with all the schools they have and the spreading out and the money they're making, obviously a huge amount of power. Another con, too, if I'm Missouri and A&M, it's kind of a negative for me, right? Like, I moved a couple years yep. ago. Like, I used to live in your neighborhood, Oklahoma and Texas, and I got tired of y'all. Y'all yep. were annoying neighbors. And I wanted to get the heck out of Dodge. And I went and I bought a bigger mansion in a bigger neighborhood, a better neighborhood, got a gate on that thing. And then guess what? Dad and here you come. Didn't come here they in come. my hood and here build a bigger house and now to come steal all the attention. So I think A&M in Missouri obviously won't be, won't be super ecstatic with it either. No, I think that is more than fair to say. And, of course, we'll continue to follow this, the SEC meeting on Thursday. They only need, well, I shouldn't say only, but they need 11 out of the 14 schools to approve the invitation. It does look like right now, although there will be some opposition, that they'll be able to get the 11 schools to agree. I mentioned as we started that the Pac-12 media days are underway in Los Angeles. So let's go west, shall we? Plenty of storylines there as well. Pac-12 favorite, Oregon Ducks. FBI gives Oregon a 40% chance to win the conference, almost twice as high, by the way, as any other team. We won't wait long for two major interconference tests. September 11, Oregon heads to Columbus. They'll play Ohio State, and Washington plays Michigan on the road at ABC, 8 o'clock Eastern. We could learn a lot 
content about the contenders November 6th, Oregon, Washington, USC against Aristona State, both on that Saturday. Allison Williams is on the ground in Los Angeles at Pac-12 Media Day. Allison, hello. And certainly timing is everything. And as these coaches stepped up to the mic today, no doubt, they were asked about the potential changes in the Southeastern Conference. What's been the response? Yeah, it was definitely a topic of conversation here, Wendy, but honestly, it just felt more celebratory than anything today. Coaches and players so excited to be back in person for Media Day. It's not just kind of the unofficial start of the season, but it's a return to a normal season. So there was a really upbeat vibe here today. Now, of course, the news that has dominated the sport is the news of Oklahoma and Texas. And new Pac-12 commissioner, George Kalafkov, addressed the media, and he spoke in part about how this could potentially impact the Pac-12. With a stable, highly successful, and well-positioned membership with a high bar to entry. Given our investments in football and men's basketball and our historic domination of other sports, we do not think expansion is required to continue to compete and thrive. That said, the fallout from Texas and Oklahoma gives us an opportunity to once again consider expansion and we've already had significant inbound interest from many schools. We will work with our presidents and chancellors to evaluate these opportunities. He went on to say that he didn't see any detriment to staying at 12 teams in the conference, that it wasn't necessary to expand and stay strong and stable within the college athletics landscape. But he did say they would evaluate all alternatives in a timely manner. So we'll have to see what sort of ripple effect this news with Texas and Oklahoma, Oklahoma has throughout college football, Wendy. Talk about baptism by fire. Welcome to the job. Here we go. Jump, jump right in. Uh, speaking of which, uh, yep. Washington State head coach Nick Rolovich not in Los Angeles today. And the reason he has chosen not to have the COVID vaccine, Allison, I know he was asked about that. What do you have to say? Yeah, he prepared a statement for the media in which he addressed the fact that he attended this media day virtually from Pullman. And he said his decision not to vaccinate is a personal choice and his reasons for doing that will remain just that, personal. He did want to reiterate, though, that he absolutely supports the vaccination efforts taking place in the state, which has one of the highest vaccination rates in the country. He said he fully encourages all his players and staff uh, to be vaccinated if that is their choice. It was not the choice for him. He also said he plans to adhere to all rules, whether it's state, local, or within the conference, regarding being unvaccinated going forward. It's worth noting the Pac-12 did not have a mandate within the conference that everyone be vaccinated, but to attend Pac-12 Media Day, they did require all coaches, players, and staff to be. Nick Rolovich is not. He was not going to um, try and, and make it seem like he was here for any other reason than that. So his reasons are personal. He's choosing to keep them that way. Uh, but because of that, he did attend this event virtually and he also said it has not been any sort of distraction for his players Wendy he's really relied on his leadership council to get feedback from their players and make sure they're all on the same page uh, regarding the vaccination status of him and his entire team Allison thank you don't go too far I know we'll be back in Los Angeles shortly because there's a number of marquee names taking center stage out west as well Todd McShay and his way too early mock draft has these two guys one two by the way Oregon's Kayvon Thibodeau and USC's Keaton Slovis join us from Pac-12 Media Day. Coming up.
All eyes on the hardware at Pac-12 Media Day. It's the college football playoff national championship trophy presented by Dr. Pepper. Kayvon Thibodeau topped Todd McShay's, that's right, top Todd McShay's way too early 2022 mock draft. That was back in May. The Oregon defensive end, USC quarterback Keaton Slovis, make Pac-12 a top one, too, before McShay looks to the south for LSU cornerback Derry Stingler Jr. at third. Here is Allison Williams at Pac-12 Media Day with Thibodeau. Kayvon, Oregon has won the last two Pac-12 championships picked today to win their third. What's the mindset, though, that the Ducks have to have going into this season to sustain the success you've had? Well, to not focus too far on the future blessings, but to go every day and try to get better and see, even though we won, see what we did in those last ones and see what we could do each game to get better. There's preseason accolades for the team and for you personally. It's your junior year, which is going to, of course, have talk about the NFL draft. As the accolades build up and you know the Heisman combos coming, what's kind of the mindset you're trying to have this year to keep that all in check? I just got to keep getting better. No matter what, these are just predictions, and if I don't show on the field, they, they'll disappear. So just, you know, getting better in the offseason and then moving into fall camp, having the best fall camp possible, and really winning. You know, team goals help personal goals. So as long as we win as much as possible and I help my team grow, I'll be fine. What was the biggest thing you tried to focus on this offseason? Leadership. I have to step into a leadership role and understanding that, you know, there are a lot of young guys and everything I say is going to be taken, you know, to heart and taken heed of. So I have to really make sure it's intentional, it's profound, and I have to make sure that guys can trust me. One of the things I love about you, Kayvon, is you're so much more than a football player. You have a ton of different interests, including chess. So give me, give me a little sense of all the pieces on the board. Which do you feel like most represents you as a player? Well, I hate to say it, but I feel like a king. I got okay. the king tatted. Why? The king is the least powerful piece. It can, it can only move one space in each direction. But the, the, the whole work of the board is kind of done by the king, right? In a sense where every piece has to move in a sense that protects the king and also moves forward in the chess match. So me, I feel like the kind of the orchestrator of my life and my microcosm. So I feel like, you know, with everything that I know, with the wisdom I have, I can help all the people around me, which are the pieces on the board. I can help them move in the right direction to make it a cohesive win. That was an incredibly advanced answer, most of it over my head. But you know what I do understand? I understand the bling we're rocking here. Can we just show this off and uh, tell the people what we're wearing here and how you got them? So this is the, this is the 2019 uh, Pac-12 championship ring. This is the Rose Bowl from 2019. And then this is the Pac-12 championship from 2020. And the watch? And the watch, this is thank you to NIL. <laughs> and thank you to Kayvon for stopping by and chatting with us. Have a great season. Yep, thank you. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, David. Yes. Just like you drew it up. <laughs> Thank you to NIL because oh, I perfect. get some money now. That's right. There you go. Get paid. Thank you to NIL. I love it. Name, image, likeness. I, truer words never spoken. All right. Let's take a look at Oregon's schedule uh, since they are the presumptive favorite here. Open against Fresno State. Then they get a huge test in Columbus. On September 11th, that's again Ohio State. Obviously, Oregon's Pac-12 slate includes a home game against Cal. That's on ESPN October 15th before closing the conference regular season schedule against their in-state rival Oregon State on November 27th. Rod, who's their biggest competitor? Who poses the biggest challenge 
if we can assume Oregon's at the top? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of reasons to love Oregon, but I think I can, I can get you to buy the Washington Huskies. I mean, keep in mind, they've got 18 starters coming back. Last year, Dylan Morris was a redshirt freshman quarterback. He showed some toughness, some accuracy. He should make a big jump this year. He has maybe the best tight end or one of the two best tight ends in the conference in Cade Auden. He just needs his young receivers to grow up. And, David, that defense, you know, every year Jimmy Lake's defense is going to be really good. So no question there. That's going to be good. And the biggest thing they have going for them, the schedule. They don't play USC. They don't play Utah. Those are two possible losses they don't have to worry about. So the schedule really works out very well for the Huskies. And if they play well against Oregon, North could go to them. Yeah, I, uh, I hear you. I think um, Washington will be formidable. I tell you what, if you could look into a crystal ball and you could tell me that Arizona State's not going to be in trouble uh, by the NCAA yeah. because there's obviously – a lot going on. I'll, I would take yep. Arizona State um, just because when you look at their skill, they got it all over the place. When you look at the quarterback spot, the most important spot on the field, Jaden Daniels is a superstar. Like, I think he could be one of those guys yep. that could go to New York kind of good with composure, with uh, enough mobility, and just can sling it. So, Herm Edwards has done a job and they've built a, a good thing, but obviously, um, the recruiting and the, the way they handled COVID and, and, and broke some rules. I don't know how that will come down, but Arizona State's in a better position than they've been in a long time. Coach Herm Edwards did open his remarks today, by the way, acknowledging that his program was under investigation and making it clear he couldn't comment any further. But uh, until that is resolved, it, of course, will just sort of hang over their heads. Uh, still to come on College Football Live, we'll talk USC. And when you talk USC, of course, you have to talk about the challenges of being in the spotlight as the starting quarterback for the Trojans. Keaton Slovis takes center stage when we come back. For the first time ever on Saturday, all 32 NFL teams will practice at the same time and we'll have coverage from every site, 9 a.m. to noon Eastern, then from 4 to 5 on ESPN and 3 to 5 Eastern on ABC. It's called Back Together Saturday, also available on the ESPN app. Keaton Slovis started red hot last year, completing 70% of his passes, throwing just four picks during his 5-0 start. But Oregon figured him out in the Pac-12 title game, three picks in a 31-24 Ducks victory. A lot to prove this year. Here he is with our Allison Williams. Keaton, median date kind of feels like the unofficial start to the season, but I feel like off-season has become a bit of a misnomer. I know you're still working hard. What do you feel like is the biggest thing you've been able to do in the last few months to put yourself in a position for success this fall? I think just being able to be back in the facility uh, at a capacity that we weren't last year. You know, being able to build a culture, being able to build up the younger guys, being able to throw routes on air whenever we want. Um, it's been awesome to kind of, you know, get those guys in the building, work with the younger guys, the transfers, kind of get that experience that we weren't able to get last year. This is the first year that athletes can capitalize on name, image, and likeness. As a quarterback at USC, you're certainly in a marketable position. How do you plan to balance and navigate that this season? I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, my job is to be, you know, quarterback USC one. That's that's number one priority. And everything after that is a bonus. I didn't think NIL would even happen this year. Um, and luckily seeing guys profit from it. But again, I'm being super patient, kind of letting my agency handle it as it comes and, you know, really letting them deal with it. And again, my, my number one pro priority is to play football and anything else after that is a kind of a distraction. 
You guys won the division last year. You're favored to this year. You return eight on offense. What are the expectations for USC's offense this fall? The expectations are always to come win a national or not national championship. Well, it is national championship too, but conference championship is what we can control, and that's our goal every year: is come win a, uh, a conference championship and hopefully get in the playoff and the opportunity to win a national championship. Um, but again, we have lots of guys returning. We always have lots of talent. It's just a matter of putting it all together, and, and hopefully, uh, it'll, it'll come to fruition this this fall. All right, so we are in Hollywood. We're just a few steps away from the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Who on your team do you think would be most likely to see their name in a star on the Walk of Fame? <laughs> That's a good question. Last year I would have said Elijah Griffin. Um, he's definitely Mr. Hollywood. This year, oh man, I got to get one of my freshmen some crap. Uh, <laughs> Trig. Okay. Trig would be out there. He's, he's Mr. Hollywood. All right, Keaton Slovis, a star in college football. All right, listen, I'm turning to our own Mr. Hollywood, David Pollock himself. And, David, uh, there's always the household names, but give me a Pac-12 player we need to know that may be flying under the radar. Drake London will set the college football world on fire next year. A lot of people don't know who he is, but he is a physical freak. Six foot five, over 200 pounds, was a basketball player, but you watch him run routes he can run routes like a little guy, and he can go in up and get it like a big guy. In this UFC, in this USC offense, the way they throw it around, this guy could be up for the Blitnikoff at the end of the season. He's that kind of good. Wow, Rod. David, we have the corner on uh, on Drake's because sometimes you laugh and sometimes you cry, you know. But Drake Jackson, he is the guy that is probably going to be the defensive player of the year if it's not Thibodeau. That does it. Good job. Back tomorrow.